I have appreciated how the Holy Ghost has put these messages together by the different men. And we've talked so much about revival and, and the power of God until I, I, it's just caused my expectator to get all stirred and moved. And I'm expecting God to do some things. Psalm 85. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm sure you know we're getting in on a man's prayer. Brother Curtis mentioned this uh, verse that we'll be using in his message earlier, but this is the prayer of the psalmist as he addresses it to the Lord. And this is how we started this series of meetings on lordship. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. One day I had the Lord ask me a question. Now, it's one thing for people to ask me a question, and it's something else for the Lord to ask me one. He asked me, he said, son, do you know what revival is? Well, being a revivalist and an evangelist, my answer quite abruptly and quickly was, yes, sir, I know what it is. He said, what is it? And you know, I've been preaching for years, been in revival meetings all across this country, and had to conclude that I didn't know what it was. And the Lord showed me that, you know, these, these churches put out flyers that say revival, certain week in August, certain week in July, and certain week. And if you don't have one, you lied to the community. You better put out some new flyers that say we lied. Because I've been in some places they declared there's hell revival and they didn't have a thing. And that was a lie. And he said, now son, if you declare you have a revival and don't have one, you participated with the liars. So I decided I might better find what one was and have one myself. If nobody else had one, so it wouldn't lie. Right? Now we've talked about revival. We've used the word for revival. But I want to ask you a question. What is revival and what is it you're looking for? Now, I want to talk to you about individual revival, what this whole conference is about, what we've been speaking about, what we're expecting God to do, and what it is you're looking for. Now, I'm not just looking for individual revival. I want God to revive all of us. But praise God, if he doesn't revive you, I'm turning to hell one. That's already had one. But you've got to see what it is. And what I'm going to do, I, got, uh, I was going to preach till 5 o'clock. That's 20 minutes. But I decided since you don't have any go anywhere till 6, I may as well preach a little while longer. <laughs> <clears throat> now this is a series of individual revival of six sermons. And I'm going to give you the introduction. And as much of it as I can get, but I'm not expecting to get beyond the introduction. But we will attempt to show you the word. You remember the message I preached the other night on revival in the Graveyard Baptist Church? 
That same words in verse number six. Will thou not revive us again? Thy people may rejoice in thee. Uh, I, I, want, I want to just show you something. This won't take me just a moment. Turn with me over to 2 Kings chapter 13. Let me show you this same word and show you revival. Brother Ray's talking about that bull that revived a feller. Well, here, here's a skeleton that revived somebody. The story is in 2 Kings chapter 13. Second Kings chapter 13, they buried Elisha. Notice verse 20. Elisha died and they buried him. The bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man that behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast them into the sepulchre of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood upon his feet. I'd say word for revive there is a word for revive in Psalm 85, 6 and also for live over in Ezekiel 37. Now, I preached a sermon to our folks the other day called God's Skeleton Crew. Now, we've got to have a good imagination to see that out of this passage. But uh, God used this skeleton of Elijah to revive the man they threw into the tomb of Elisha. Well, if God can take a skeleton and revive somebody, he can sure take a church and revive somebody. I mean, this is a Holy Ghost revival, but that's what you call revival by accident. Boy, they didn't even intend one. I've seen some churches, they had one, but they weren't looking for one. They weren't expecting one. They just had one by accident. Well, praise God, if God ever gets in one, you're going to have one. Amen? All right, let's go back to Psalm 85, verse 6, and see what it is. Now, I will say two or three just opening remarks. Number one, revival in the final analysis. I mean, in the last word that can be said about it, does not come from dynamic personalities or dramatic programs, but from divine power. Amen. I'm not going to revive you. I can't revive you. There's no personality revive you, and you cannot by your programs organize and have revival. Revival comes from divine power. You may organize and you should organize, but you need the breath of God. Revival is the resurrection power of God revitalizing my spiritual condition. That's what revival is. Now let's look at it. It doesn't come from teaching. It comes from praying. The psalmist had already said, Lord, you've been good to your, your land. You've been favorable to your land. You've forgiven our sins, Selah, which means calmly think about that, or over in Arkansas it means chew on that a while. <laughs> Amen. That's what, that's what Selah means. Selah means calmly think about that for a while. But it's just like taking a, a good bite of steak and putting it in your mouth and going, mm, that's good. And when you see Selah, it means don't read any further. Stop right there, chew on that a while, get out of the nutrients out of that that you need. Let it saturate your soul. Let it do for you what you need. Now something just been said that's going to fill you and thrill you and bless you. That's what you do when you eat anyway. I never seen anybody, if the food is delicious and superb, but what, they'd put the first bite in their mouth and chew on that for a while. And man, when you're diabetic like we are, if you ever do get a morsel that's sweet, you chew on that a while. Long while. Sela, Sela, Sela. 
In other words, God's forgiven us of our sins. I could chew on that for a while. They've been favorable unto his land, forgiven their sins, covered their sins. God had turned from the fierceness of his anger so the psalmist could look up and said, Lord, you've been favorable unto us. You have forgiven us of our sins and you covered our sins. And Lord, you turned from the fierceness of your anger. But even though God had been favorable, even though God had forgiven their sins, even though God had turned from the fierceness, the fellowship had not been restored. And folks, only God can bring Holy Ghost revival and restore your fellowship. I have four things we're going to see in this introduction. First, from where revival comes, we're going to deal with the reviver. The source of revival, he said, will thou. Now, whatever it is that I'm looking for, whatever it is God put pressure on me about so I, find, so I could find it in the Word, it comes from God. And since the question was, Charles, do you know what revival is? Do you know what it is you're trying to have? I started searching and studying this psalm and studying this prayer, and I concluded that you have as much hope for reviving yourself as you did in saving yourself. God's got to revive you just like he regenerates you so that revival is a move of God and depends on the power of God. Elijah could preach the word and put sinews and flesh on them, but it took the wind to put the wind in them or to put the life in them, and it takes the Holy Ghost to stir you and revitalize you and revive you. So let me say this. You can examine the elements of revival, scrutinize its essential features, analyze its every detail, but when you've exhausted your efforts and come to your final conclusion, it will be that revival comes from God. So I'm expecting God to do something for me. Now, the second thing is who can have it. Notice what he said. Will thou not revive us? Thy people. You've got to be saved before you can experience individual revival. So I know that revival is individual. And second, I know that it is internal. It is for the saints of God. It, and evangelism is a natural overflow of it. Now, let's come to the third thing. And aren't we moving along good? Boy, isn't that great? I'm moving along just fine. But this is where we're going. What is it? Now, I'll ask you a question. First, we see the reviver. Second, we see the recipients. Third, we see the revival. Have you ever prayed for things neither knowing what they were nor how they came? How many have you ever done that? How many have you ever prayed for something and you didn't know what it was nor how it came? Like, for instance... I used to pray for patience. I thought that was the most logical and practical thing to pray for was patience. So I'd pray for patience and ask the Lord for patience. And every time I prayed for patience, things got worse. I said, Lord, things are sure bad. I need more patience. And every time I'd pray for patience, things would get worse. I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't understand it. I said, Lord, do you have any idea how bad it is? I need more patience. After a while, I ran across a verse of Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 3, that said, Tribulation worketh patience. Then I ran into one over in the book of James talking about the trying of your faith. And also in 1 Peter, and the trying of your faith worketh patience patience. Well, according to what Peter said, the trying of your faith being much more precious than the gold that perisheth, 
The concept is of the refiner who would take the ore the gold was in, place it in a crucible. After he'd place the, oil in the, the ore in the crucible, he'd place it into the furnace, and the furnace's heat would melt the ore, and the gold would settle to the bottom, and the impurities would come to the top. And then he'd scrape off the, Im, Im, uh, the impurities, and then he'd heat the furnace hotter, place the gold and the ores back into the furnace, increase the heat. Well, after a while, he'd pull it out, move off all and scrape off all the impurities again, and then he'd place it back into the furnace, and he always checked his gold. But every time he'd pull it out, he'd look into the gold, and he knew he had perfect gold when it would mirror his image. Well, here's what Peter said, the trying of your faith, being much more precious than a gold that perisheth, so that God would take my faith and put it in the crucible, crucible of experience and place it into the furnace of affliction, our tribulation, our trial, and then God would turn up the heat. And he said, tribulation worketh patience. Well, here I am over here praying for patience. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you trial and put you into the furnace. I said, Lord, it sure is getting bad. Give me more patience. He says, okay, I'll turn up the heat a little bit. I was getting what I asked for. I just didn't know it came that way. I can't remember one time I, I was having financial problems. You ever had financial problems? And I was sitting at home bemoaning myself, looking out the window, feeling sorry for myself. I thought nobody's got it as bad as I got it for me. And I was thinking about these folks who had plenty of money, especially some of these rich preachers. I thought, Lord, I sure would like to be a rich preacher. Why can't I have a million dollars? And I heard that still small voice that said, Son, I give you all you need to keep you right. Boy, was that hard to handle. I said, Lord, I sure would like to be right and have a million. <laughs> I said, Lord, I believe I could be more nearly right if I had a million. He said, no, you wouldn't depend on me if you had a million. And the Lord said, son, I'm not trying to show the world your circumstances. I want to show the world your faith. So I said, Lord, don't show my faith because my faith is murmuring and complaining. But you know what, I, what was happening? Is that I was praying for patience and getting what I asked for. So you know what I decided to do by the grace of God? Not to ask for any more patience. Just <laughs> say, glory to God, if it comes along, give me all the patience I need in whatever trials they are. But I'm not going to ask for it anymore. Second thing I used to ask for, neither knowing what it was, my hat came, which is the most logical and practical of all prayers. Lord, teach me how to love. Let me have somebody to love. Well, what I meant was, let me have somebody kind and considerate and benevolent and generous, you know, somebody to love me and appreciate me and pat me on the back and come to see me, you know. I mean, I want me a buddy, 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 buddy. I want somebody to love me. Well, I just didn't understand. You know, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even the publicans do the same. 
So he wasn't going to give me somebody for me to love and them love me that I could love and they could love me easily because the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And love is a fruit of the Spirit, which means the love of the Spirit is manifest where your love doesn't operate. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, love your enemies. So somebody comes along and says, I can't stand the sight of you. Oh, you make me sick. Lord, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> you hear what he said? <laughs> Lord, if I ever met anybody unlovely, unkind, inconsiderate, cantankerous, mean as a devil, that's that person. I can't love that person. What? What? You want me to love that one? I can't. Lord, if I'm going to love that one, you're going to have to do it through me. And praise God, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. I found if I want somebody to love, I'm not going to get the person who loves me. I'm going to get somebody I can't love. And he's going to have to love through me. So you know what I did? I quit asking the Lord for anybody to love. You know, I just want to love them all, you know. But praise God, I want you to know. There have been some times I have prayed for things, neither knowing what they were nor how they came. Now, I'm going to tell you my biggest fault, all right, in praying for something. Now, this is mine. This is my trouble. I, I mean, this is my fault. But, uh, but me and that big person, it's really their fault, not mine. Because they're the one who got me interested in the power of God to start with. I mean, I used to follow Brother Percy around I just like Elisha. You know, I wasn't expecting him to die, but I was going to find out everything I could about the power of God. I mean, if he's going to operate, I was going to find out about it. And that's been my, the, my, the story of my life for years. I want to know about the power of God. I'm not interested in anything else. If I can't have the power of God, there's no, there's no reason for living. And I've, and I've prayed this prayer. My wife's heard me. And my wife agrees with this. I said, if I can't have the power of God on my life and ministry, I'd rather be dead. And my wife agreed with me. And she said, that's exactly right, because you're not worth a flip when you don't have the power of God. She said, you can't preach a lick without the power. I said, thank you, ma'am, but I already know it. You know, I don't understand how the world God used any of us in here. I wouldn't even claim to be a good preacher. I don't even claim to know anything. But i tell you one thing. i got a dependency on the power of God and on God. And I want God to operate more than anything else in this world, folks. But i got one problem when it comes to the power. I always religiously, even though I know better, ask the Lord for more power. Now, doesn't that sound good? It is undoubtedly the most useless and senseless prayer you'll ever pray. Let me show you how that works. You know what a brilliant pastor you have, don't you? I mean, he's smart. I mean, he's so smart. He knows everything about electricity. <clears throat> you know I'm setting him up. Let's say tomorrow, down at the house, his wife comes in, says, Honey, the, the uh, light bulb in the bathroom blew out. And it's a 25-watt bulb. And 
you, you know, we just hadn't had enough light down in the bathroom. Would you please put in a 100-watt bulb? He says, sure, honey. Sure, I know all about those things. He says, but now you know that it takes more power to operate a 100-watt bulb than it does a 25-watt bulb. So you call the power company and tell them to give us more power. She says, okay. Goes over there, picks up a telephone, says, Mr. Power Company, my husband said for me to call you and tell you that we have been using a 25-watt bulb in our bathroom and my husband wants to use a 100-watt bulb, and he knows it takes more electricity. So he asked if you would please send more power down to our house. Hmm? What do you think the man on the other end of the line is going to say? Huh? I, that, I can hear the man on the other end just cover up the receiver and say, you know what this nut wants. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what this request is? And what will the man say? He'll say, you tell that husband of yours, the power is in the line. And if he wants to, to screw that 100-watt bulb in, it'll handle whatever you screw into it if you'll just give it the capacity to receive what's there. So what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus said all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Jesus, the one who lives today, lives inside me. And he got all power, isn't that right? Well, isn't it senseless for me to tell him with him with the line already got me wired up to him. Say, give me more power. Give me more power. No! He needs a bigger light bulb. Amen. <laughs> he needs the capacity. I must give him more. Empty himself so he be filled with his power. Oh, folks, I don't need more power to burn out my circuits. That's why it used to tickle me. You know... We go down to Myrtle and we have a glory time and, and while some folks are there for the first time, they ain't never been anything like that in their lives. And, and so, well, I better ask you if you know this before I use that for an illustration. How many of you know what a 110 line is? Some of you do and some of you don't. Well, when you go to plug in at your house, anything, most everything runs on a 110. You don't plug anything into a 220, that's a 110. If you do, it's going to burn out the 110. I mean, you plug an iron into a 220 when it's a 110, it's going to burn out the iron. I mean, burn out the circuits. Well, some fellas go over to Myrtle and some ladies, and man, they get at the altar and trade in their 110 for a 220. And man, glory to God, they go back home and then go to the church and expect all those 110s to plug into them. And there have been many children that God burned the circuits out of everybody. And especially the preacher. Some preacher goes to Myrtle and he gets down and gets him a 220 and goes back and everybody in the congregation plugs in just like they did the Sunday before and he burns them all up and get rid of him. That's right. And he and them don't know what happened. He says, man, I don't know what happened. He came back supercharged. Amen. I says, overcharged. What I'm trying to tell you is this. I have asked for more power. More power. But I'm trying to quit. 
I don't need, I don't need more power. He just needs more emptiness to fill me with what power I have access to. See, if we in our churches would quit looking for the power of God and give Him more capacity, He'd fill us with the power of God. What you looking for? You say, well, I want the power of God. Where is the power? Where is it? It's in Jesus. Where is He? He's in you. Huh? Are you expecting something to come down from up here? That came down at Pentecost, and praise God, been down ever since. You say, I want the Lord to come down on us. Why don't you pray, Lord, come up? So what do you mean? He's already down. Praise God, I want him to come up. I want him to come up and out. I want him to use me. And I learned some lessons about the power of God. God can get in us. But folks, if you spend all your time searching for the power and looking for the power, you won't find the power because the power's already in you. He just wants to manifest it and use it for His glory. Hadn't you seen some child of God in a service, in a confession time or a testimony time, get up and the power of God run all over you? All he did is just let the Holy Spirit flow through him. But what I'm saying is I've asked for things neither knowing what they were nor how they came, and this is true of the power of God. So I'm trying to quit asking for more power and just present the Lord with a bigger light bulb. Say, Lord, give me more capacity to handle what I have access to. Now, I've done this with revival. I've asked for Holy Ghost revival, thinking maybe if I could have Holy Ghost revival, I'd feel better. But Brother Percy's already told you, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power of God, so you can feel better. I thought that if I could have the Holy Ghost to, to revive me, that my, I, I would gain more and have more and, and the church would have more. But folks, I'm beginning to understand that if I have Holy Ghost revival, revival is not connected with people and things. Revival is connected with the Lord. Uh, and then he connects me with folks. See, what he said is this, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. I right, see the little word for revive. It is the Hebrew word that means to give life to. It means to cause to live, to make alive. The word again is the key word, and it means to bring back. Two truths. Number one, you cannot go back to where you've never been. Is that right? Now, Brother Percy was here with you last year, right? Uh, he could say it's good to be back. What if I had come Monday and said, Folks, it's good to be back. And you came up after seven and said, Have you ever been here before? No, but it sure is good to be back. You see, you're confused. That's the way a lot of folks are about revival. They're confused. You cannot go back to where you've never been. And you cannot come back to a condition you never had. If it means to bring back, to bring back, you've got to have been there in order to go back to it. Like it was when I was saved. Now when I got saved, nobody had to tap me on the shoulder and say, you have arrived. Glory to God, I knew I had arrived. I entered into a place, I entered into a position, I entered into a sphere I never had before. I don't know what you did when you got saved. But I remember when I got saved, I got up, I got my Bible, went through the house singing this song, I'll tell the world I'm a Christian, I'm not ashamed his name to bear. And I stand at the picture window, <clears throat> looking out, and I saw this mailman go by. I said, man, I gotta tell this mailman. 
I took off running after the mailman, but he outran me. He said, what'd you do? I ran up and down the street telling folks. I went everywhere telling folks about getting saved, getting saved, getting saved, getting saved. But the thing that astounded me was rest and peace inside my heart. I entered into a rest I never had. I had a peace I never had. Had a love I never had before. I entered into a condition. And glory to God, nobody has to tell me I was there. You say, preacher, when do you need revival? When do you need revival? That's what this entire message is about right here. See, revival is God becoming unto you who he was and what he was when you're more spiritual than you are now. Did you get that? Listen, folks, revival is an act or series of actions that by God, by which he restores the spiritual condition. It means to bring back to a condition that you once had. It doesn't mean the circumstances. And when you come back to a spiritual condition, it doesn't mean that all things are going to be the same. Like with Adam and Eve, it was not the same. Like with David, it was not the same. Like with Achan, it was not the same. But friend, when God revives a person, He restores that person, He renews that person, He reconditions that person, and brings him back to the spirituality he once had before. You say, preacher, can you lose the peace of God? Yes, you can. You can't lose peace with God, but you can lose the peace of God. And you lose, you lose the joy of the Spirit. But friend, if you ever reach a spiritual condition to where you're not what you once were, you need for God to revive you. So that revival is the Holy Spirit cleaning house, re- reconditioning and restoring and remodeling and redecorating. You say, for what? Well, revival is the preparation necessary for fellowship with deity. See, inside me is the Holy Spirit and he's called an indweller. But he's not only an indweller, he's an intercessor. He's not only an intercessor, he's an interpreter. But he's also an introducer. What was it Jesus said in John 14, 23? Jesus said, my father may come and take up our abode with you. John 14, 21 said, we'll manifest myself unto you. So the, you know what the Holy Ghost does? He gets me ready for a divine visitation from the Son of God. You say, but I thought he already lived inside of you. He does. But folks, at times I'm out of fellowship with him. And when I'm out of fellowship with him and, my, and his house gets dirty, he's going to have to recondition the house so Jesus will be comfortable inside. Give you an illustration. My mother's in the nursing home. And uh, she has Harding the arteries. She doesn't even know who we are. Doesn't who I, know who I am for about three years now. She hasn't known who I was. We went out my mother's house, and the money goes to the welfare department. But we just rented just to help a couple. And we rented to this couple. And when they moved out, didn't even tell us. I went over to my mother's home, and I won't tell you it was filthy. I never seen such a mess in my life. I went through the house, and the walls were filthy. The floor was filthy. I went back into the kitchen, and there to sink. The sink was just full of food that had just molded, and, and, and it, I mean, it was just filthy. You know the reason it hurt me? It was my mother's house. And the next time I rented, I told that couple, I said, I want to tell you, that's my mother's house. I said, that's a special house. And I'm expecting you to take care of it. That's my mother's house. Well, this body is the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost, the Scripture says. And Jesus lives inside of me. And you know what I'm expecting? 
fellowship with deity. Fellowship with deity. Fellowship with deity. You say, well, what does revival mean? Revival means it's wash day. Well, we had to take Mother's house and wash that thing out. This is what Ephesians 6 speaks of, the washing of the water by the word. And that's a time when the Holy Ghost cleans out the attic of my mind. You ever had him clean out your mind? Oh, have you ever had him clean, clean out the closets of your soul? I used to get tickled at church members. You go visit some church members, knock on the door, and they peek through the curtain, and all of a sudden, you'd hear all this commotion. Doors slamming, everything. And then finally somebody would come to the door and open the door. Say, oh, it's you, preacher. Sure, they knew it was me all the time. I'd go in the house, and I knew what they'd done. They cleaned up the living room and shut the door of the bedroom, shut the door to the kitchen so you couldn't see because they hadn't washed the dishes and hadn't made up the beds. So what I'd do, I'd just go over and lean on the doorknob. You're talking about getting upset. They would get upset. And you know why? They was afraid I was going to see what they had in their room. Let me, tell you, let me tell you a little key. My wife lives with a preacher. Me. And we didn't have a preacher come, like when we had Brother Ray for a meeting. And, and, and Brother Ray knows how much Rachel loves him. But when any preacher comes to our house, my wife gets nervous. She cleans everything. I mean, goes through the house. It's got to be immaculate everything. And I say, honey, you live with a preacher all the time. It's just another preacher coming. She says, oh, but this is different. I said, please tell me how. She said, I don't know. It's just different. So you know what I found? Now listen to this. She cleans the house according to her attitude of the greatness of the person she's expecting to visit. Now, I don't tell you when revival comes. It's when the Holy Ghost wants you to fellowship with Jesus. And praise God when deity comes knocking. He wants a clean mind and he wants a clean heart and he wants a clean life. And you don't mind the scrubbing and the scouring and the throwing out when you know Jesus is coming. So revival can becomes the reconditioning of the Spirit. Oh, the washing down of the Spirit. It comes the cleansing of the Spirit. It's when the Holy Ghost starts convicting you of your unholy and unrighteous attitudes. And He starts sweeping out and throwing away all that which you put in there, which is nothing but junk and uncleanness, and Jesus wouldn't feel comfortable in there. You know why some folks won't have Holy Ghost revival? They're not willing to get cleaned up and Jesus wouldn't be comfortable in fellowship with them. I'm not saying we've got to become perfect. I'm just saying I must be willing for him to clean house. And I've noticed this, dear friend. You can always tell when you need revival. When you lose the joy of the Lord. Now let me show you the last thing. That's the result. What's the result of revival? He said that thy people may what? Rejoice in thee. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, Jesus was the object of my affection. That's all I want to talk about. Jesus this and Jesus that. It was Lord this and Lord that. It was Jesus this and Jesus that. But I want to, I want to, let, me, let me give an illustration. <clears throat> 
I have three children. I used to be small. My boy's 15. He's three quarters of an inch taller than I am. That's the strangest thing to me I ever saw. My daddy was 5'6". I'm 6'5". Mother, only 5'5". My 10-year-old was the smallest one. She's about five, two and a half. Those three children are special. Always have been. When they were real small, I always looked forward to going home on the weekends for all the loving I got into. I always liked to be home on Saturday morning. I'd drive all night long on Saturday morning just to be home. Or all night on, Saturday, on Friday night just to be home on Saturday morning. Because when I drive up, as soon as I drive up, here they come pouring right out of the house. All three of them. Time my car door open, there's all three standing right outside. And Rachel too. Suzanne would always jump around my neck and hug me and say, Daddy, I missed you. And as soon as she got through, I'd get out of the car because she'd just hang on. You know, when she was smaller and she was there, she'd just hang on. And then David would hug me and say, Daddy, I missed you. And then Cindy would say, Daddy, I missed you. And then I'd kiss Rachel. And I said, Honey, I missed you. And she said, I missed you too. And then we'd just go in the house and we'd, sometimes all five of us would end up on the same couch. You understand? I mean, praise God, I mean, it was good. You know why? Because they loved me for who I was. They loved my person and they loved my presence. Every once in a while, not very often, every once in a while, I'd take them gifts. But I always put them in the trunk of the car and hit them. I'm no fool. And I never brought them enough for them to know I had them. Because see, if I brought them this weekend and the next weekend, by the third weekend, they're looking for what I got rather than who I am. They're looking for my provision. They're looking for my blessing. They're looking for my gift rather than me. So I put it in the trunk. After I get home, pull up in the driveway, out they come. Each one will go through it again, hugging and the kissing, hugging and the kissing, hugging and the kissing. And then we go in the house, sit down on that couch again. And then when it kind of calms down, I said, guess what, kids? I got you something out in the car. Oh, I tell you what, and then there's no rest for the weary. <laughs> Daddy, what is it? What is it, Daddy? Especially Sue said, what is it, Daddy? Have you got me something? Yeah, I got you something, doll. Daddy, would you go get it now? Come on and get me a rock. Would you go get it? I said, yeah. So here we all go out of the door. And I go out very slowly, and I cut my eyes over and watch them. Their eyes are sparkling. I mean, their feet are going this way. I just can't wait to see what blessing I got. And I finally find the key. <laughs> I'm going to savor all I can get out of it. And I'll reach down and open up the trunk. 
And I said, don't put your hands in there. Because I got their names on them. I'll pick it up. It says Suzanne. I'll hand it to Suzanne. Oh, I tell you, when that thing hits her hands, she lights up. She says, can I open that? I said, no, not until we'll all get them. <laughs> and I give one to David. Then I give one to Cindy. And then I give one to Mama. And then we all go back in the house again. And we all sit down. And then Suzanne opens hers first. As soon as she opens it up and looks at it, you know the first thing she does? She leaves that thing or brings it and comes over and crawls up in my lap and hugs me and kisses me and it's doing it all over again. <laughs> amen, amen. See, I'm the giver. I'm the giver. I'm the giver. I'm the giver. And I don't want her to love the give more than the giver. That's good. I don't want her to look for the gift. I don't want her to look for the blessing. I want her to look for the giver. Yeah. I want her to look for me. And then after she comes over and crawls up in my lap and kisses me, she always says, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Daddy. And then I say, okay, David, you open yours. And boy, he opens his. Business picks up again. Here comes David. <laughs> thank you, Daddy. I appreciate this. Thank you, Daddy. Okay, Cindy, you open yours. Cindy opens hers. Oh, Daddy, I want you to know. I appreciate it, Daddy. I thank you, Daddy. And then Rachel opens hers. And here she comes there. Hers is not exactly like that, but... <laughs> I like hers even better. Hey, man, I get good sugar out of that. Hey, man, hey, man. Like very homesick. You say, why don't you do that that weekend? If I did that the next weekend, like I said, by the third weekend, as soon as I'd drive up, and come out as soon as the door opened, Suzanne said, what you got me, Daddy? What you got me, Daddy? And I'm here to tell you, when you first got saved, you came to church, and you did whatever you did for Jesus. You didn't even care what you got. Because he'd already given you himself and he's the gift. The Father gave the Son. And praise God, the Lord's the object of your affection. You came to church for the Lord. Nobody had to ask you to come. You came for the Lord. You talked about the Lord. You sang to the Lord. You preached to the Lord. You testified to the Lord. And it was the Lord this and the Lord that and the Lord this and the Lord that. Lord this and the Lord that. Until finally you start coming looking for a blessing. And forgot the blesser. You know what I'd do if my kids started looking for what I had rather than who I was? I'd cut their gifts off. And I'd cut their blessings off until the car would roll up and they was looking for who was in the front seat and not in the trunk. You understand that? One day Suzanne said, Daddy, you're not going to bring us anything next weekend, are you? I said, no, doll. She said, I didn't think you were. <laughs> I mean, then I'm going to go six, seven, eight weeks. Bring them nothing. See, they've learned, so, learned me so well now. And I can't tell whether they're still really meaning it or just doing it to get me to give to them. 
But they've learned me well enough never to show more excitement over what I give them than they do me. And the more excitement, or more they're excited with me they are, they know the more I'm going to give them. Praise God, I'm going to give them the moon. As long as they appreciate me more than the moon. <laughs> Amen. But you know what the psalmist is saying? Won't you revive us again? Won't you bring us back where we rejoiced in you? Some people say, well, I got over it. You need revival. So well, I don't get a blessing when I come. He's hidden them from you, dear friend. Because all you're after is his provision and what he's got. And you're not going to get anything else until you get to looking for him. He's going to dry your blessings up. He's going to dry your personal gifts up. He's going to dry your promises up. I mean, he's going to hide them all for you. You're going to come to church and be as dry as a Sahara desert. I mean, you're going to come and you're going to say, did you get blessed? I didn't get a thing. I didn't get a thing. And after a while, you'll forget the blessing and look for the blesser. And then you'll say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Lord, won't you revive me? So why I rejoice in you for who you are and not for what I get out of it. That's, got, that's what revival is, folks. Bringing you back to where you rejoice in the Lord for his person and his presence and his personality rather than his provision. And not only that. And some folks are this way. I told you the other night that Tupelo's in a tornado belt. And, and, and it's still this way to a degree. Not as much now with the old ones. But it was there for a while when a storm had come. You could expect five shipments in the same bed. And different that's what they had king size. I still don't have king size, I've got a queen size. But many were scared, Daddy was scared, and as soon as they crawled in the bed, within five minutes, thunder and lightning, storm and wind blowing, they were sound asleep. <laughs> you know what put them to sleep? I'd lay my hand over on them. As much as I get on them, because Susanna's wrapped around me like an octopus. Cindy's <laughs> on the other side, and they have me and David here. I mean, we just all scribes up like this on, on, that, on that bed. But somehow or the other, in the time of storm, they sought my protection. Now, I appreciate that. But let me tell you something I wouldn't appreciate it. And that is, if that was the only time they sought me. And I'm here to tell you there's some folks don't seek the Lord till they get in trials and trouble and storms come their way. And if that's the only time you seek it, you need Holy Ghost revival. Yes, but that doesn't make sense. You know it makes sense. So there's something about giving. And once in a while my kids come in and, and Sue said, I got tickled at her the other night. She came in, we was having fellowship at church the other night, put her arm around me. Said, Daddy? I said, no. <laughs> she said, you know me pretty well, don't you? I said, yes. I said, I don't know what it is, but the answer is no. <laughs> because I'm playing with her. But you know, my children have a tendency and have, have been ever since they were small to come to me with their hands this way. You know what they're wanting? When I was a kid, I was wanting a penny or a nickel. Now they're wanting a dollar. 
And that's how we usually go to God. That's how we come to church. See what we're going to get out of it. That's the reason you need Holy Ghost Revival. You're not supposed to come here for what you can get out of it. You know what I like for the little ones? Was when they'd come, not with their hands this way, but with their hands this way. And come up to me and say, Daddy, pick me up. And I reached down and pick them up. And they hugged me around the neck and said, Daddy, I love you. Now, I don't mind them coming in time of storm. But friend, that'll never take the place of when there's no storm on and they want nothing. Just coming, crawling up in my lap and saying, Daddy, don't want a thing. I just came to tell you, I love you. I wouldn't trade that for a million worlds. Oh, because they're not looking for anything but to show their love for me, for who I am. And I wouldn't take anything for the time when I walk through the door and their little eyes sparkle and say, Daddy, we sure are glad you're here. Rejoicing in you. And that's what the psalm is saying. Get us back. Won't you get us back to the simplicity of faith when we just want to see you and love you for who you are. But not only is this thing true, but let me show you one other thing. Now this thing of protection, like I said, that's good. That's all right. It's all, it's good too for his provision. But sometimes they come to me for power. You know, when my boy was small, he thought there wasn't anybody as powerful as daddy. I mean, that's what it was so strange to me to look at my boy taller than me. When he was small, nobody could lick daddy. Nobody liked daddy. Boy, if he had a job to do, if he had a, a lid to open, take it to daddy, he got the power. My daddy's strong. My daddy's strong. My daddy's strong. So my boy would come get me to do things for him. Carry things for him. Display power for him. And I did. But that's like a power I was talking about earlier. If the only time my boy came to me was for me to exert some kind of energy and display a power, he's not rejoicing in who I am. He's rejoicing in my power. Now I want to tell you, I'm looking for the power of God too. But if I'm just looking for the power of God, do you think he's going to do anything? You can forget it. He wants you to look for him who has all power. And when you start looking for him, for who he is, if you need provisions, he's wise enough to give them to you. Don't you think he wants to bless you more than you want to bless him? I want to give my children gifts, but I'm not about to give them to them when they look for the gifts rather than the giver. But I don't you think I know I want to protect my children? Don't you think I know I want to display power when it's necessary? Well, all you say, preacher, how do they get your power? How do they get your provision? How do they get your protection? Just one way, just get me. And when they got daddy, they got all the rest of it. And I'm here to tell you the individual revival is coming back to a condition when the Lord was the object of your affection and you rejoiced in him, not for what he could do for you, not for what the power he had, and not for any of his protection whatsoever, but for the sheer pleasure of him. <clears throat> Instead of preaching all those backsliders out there, they're the ones that need revival. Let me give you a personal illustration and then I'll be through. 
I said, I, I, <clears throat> I don't doubt being saved. Thank God I know I'm saved. And nobody has to tap me on the shoulder and say, Charles, you remember the time when you got saved? Nobody has to tell me that. I know that. I went to pastor over in Alabama back in 1971. <clears throat> I'll never forget it. I went there and, and the church was running a bus, just one. And, they, and I don't believe any church ought to get in a bus minister unless God tells them to. God tells you to get in it, but if he doesn't, there's just too many financial problems and too many personnel problems. But they had a bus, and I asked them, I said, do you feel like God wants you in a bus minister? They said, yes. Well, their concept was send a bus around the community and take over who wanted to come, not work in the community. So I began to pray for God to give us a bus director with a God consciousness, not a preacher consciousness, a church consciousness, because I knew if I had a preacher consciousness, I'd do just what the preacher asked, had a church consciousness, do just what the church asked, but if I had a God consciousness, do what God asked. So a man by the name of Charles Jones came up to me one night, <clears throat> prayed for two months in the sanctuary for God to give us a man with a God consciousness to head up the bus ministry. Charles came to me one night and he said, I'm your man. I said, my man for what? He said, that bus director. He said, I've been knowing ever since the first time he prayed two months ago that I was the man. I never seen anything like it. He told me one day, he said, now, preacher, you can go visit with me if you want to. I said, if you don't want to, that's all right. He visited four nights a week and all day Saturday. Nobody had to ask him to. He just did it. Oh, how God blessed. The church began to grow. I mean, we had wall-to-wall -wall people. We packed them in. I mean, they were everywhere. While all this was going on, I was a whirl of activity. The first year I was there, I was at home. Brother passed on three nights. That's all. All the rest of those nights, I was knocking on somebody's door until 10 and 11 o'clock. All day long, I was either visiting hospitals or so in and out trying to reach people for Jesus. But what started happening, I had set aside four hours every morning for Bible study. People started coming by the church. Had to finally move my study over to my home. And then the telephone started ringing. Come to the hospital. Come here. Got to have you here. So I started letting my Bible study time and my fellowship time with God go. And something happened in my soul. Dryness set in. I'm not talking about backsliders out here in sin. I'm talking about a man of God right in the middle of all the activity, drying up, drying a pot shed. He said, but all that activity church, yes, and I stirring up a whirl of dust. But folks, I don't care how it looked in the church, something was happening in my soul in fellowship with the Lord. I lost something. I didn't lose my salvation, but I lost the joy of the ministry. I lost the joy of visiting, and I lost the joy of preaching. And I started depending on old sermons. I didn't have time to prepare new ones. And I'd stand and try to make up in personality what I lacked in spirituality. And I want to tell you something. You may fool some folks with personality, but you can't fool yourself because you know when you're more spiritual or have been more spiritual than you are at the time. I like to kill me. I mean, week after week after week, I'd stand and I felt like a hypocrite. Something happened to my fellowship. Oh, I couldn't point to any sin unless it was 
prayerlessness and unless it was like a Bible study, but I would point out the visiting I was doing and the hospital work I was doing and the counseling I was doing and the going and the work until I was just a slave, so to speak, and all the activity. But something inside of me was like it died. I was like Ezekiel's boneyard. People were coming, I mean by the droves. But then in the service, something started happening. We'd have as high as 30 and 40 lost people every, every Sunday morning and Sunday night, and none of them started getting saved. Like to kill me. Nobody had to tell me what was wrong. See, if you're really saved, nobody has to tell you. You don't know what it is, but something's happened to you. Finally, in September that year, one day at my home, nobody there but Rachel and me. She was in another part of the house. I just took my Bible and slammed it. I said, that's enough. I've had it. That's it. I said, God, you've got to do something for me today. I can't go another step. I refuse to go in that pulpit again. I'm out of fellowship with you. Won't you please revive me again? Now, don't you dare call the second blessing or a third blessing. But in my heart, the Spirit of God blew and surged and restored me back to the spiritual fellowship I'd known when I was first saved. Brought me back me back. I right, in that coming back it just means I got back to the place to in my priority the Lord stirred my spirit and Jesus became the object of my affection. Now here's what started happening at the church. Praise God I set aside a time a Bible study and prayer and when I started fellowshipping with the Lord he started doing all the things out in the church that I wanted done and I had myself a glory time. But you know what? I found the preaching's not my top priority. It's my fellowship with Jesus. Well, I found what revival is. Individual revival. Now, I'm talking about the time when it breaks out all over everywhere, though it breaks out in an individual revival in somebody's heart. Confession of sin. You won't mind confessing your sin if you're expecting deity. You won't mind. You won't mind throwing away anything. That upset Jesus when he fellowships with you. He said, what happened since that time, preacher? Oh, I've gotten to the place where I almost needed it that bad. But I found it true. Every once in a while, God shows me I'm the one who needs it. I've gone to motel rooms after I've preached and fallen on my face and wept before God and told God, God, I've gotten so busy again that I forgot you. Oh, I'd refer to you, but Lord, my fellowship is like it's dead. But I want to thank God this afternoon. Individual revival is possible, but you don't teach it, you pray it. And it's the Holy Ghost who produces it. But the result of it will be that you'll rejoice in the Lord. Let's bow our heads while we pray. Our Father.